All right, so um, I want to share with you, as those of you who are in my house before, and my backyard, I have two grills. One we have for probably 10-ish year, and we also have a newer grill. The, old, the reason why we got a new grill is not because the old grill doesn't work. Therefore, if you go to my backyard, you still see the old grill sitting there, which is fully functional, but also there's a new grill next to it that we now use most often. And you may be wondering, how come I have two grills? Is it because we cook that much? We have that many people in the house that we actually need two grills? Some level, yes. Uh, I do need to use cook a lot more nowadays. But let me tell you the real reason why we use two grills, and in fact, we bought the new one, is simply because our old grill was just too dirty. If you barbecue, any of you ever barbecue, you know what, what I'm talking about. You grill, what happened is you grill something, especially I grilled something last night just to practice my sermon. Uh, I grilled something with marinade, like with sauce. After you grill something with sauce on a grill, it leaves all these burn marks on the grill. And so what happened is we use it very often, and if, if I don't know about you, but for me, I'm not the best at cleaning up right away. So you know what happened after I, I, I cook something on the grill and have sauce on it? I just kind of barely scrub it a few times. I figure, you know, next time I'm going to grill again anyway. Right? Like next time, I'll just wait till next time, then I'll scrape the burn part off. Or if I don't scrape it all off after, after, afterwards, it doesn't matter because it's hot. The grill is hot. It'll kill all the germs. And any flavor I had last time, we just add on to the grill this time. So the steak that tasted good last time, it will taste even better this time if I don't clean. Right? So that's what, I, what happened. And what I found out is this, is that slowly but surely, when I clean less and less and less, the grill doesn't get any cleaner. In fact, the burn mark gets thicker, harder to clean. And every time I try to clean it right before I grill, I have to prep a half an hour earlier just to hose that griddle down, just to scrub it down with wire, wire brush. And even then, it got to a point that finally I spent an hour cleaning my grill and still it was not clean enough to cook food on. So that's when I realized I just need to buy a new grill. Just buy a new grill and the, the old grill that we it can still cook, but what we use it for, we just smoke meat with it because it doesn't require me to put the meat on top of the griddle. The reason why I share this story with us is because I think a lot of times we're like that with our own personal lives. Things get onto us, particular sins, things that are dirty, things that are soiled, things that are not clean. And we think, Man, I'll just take care of it later. Man, I'll just scrub it off later. Next time when I need to come to church, I'll just confess. Next time I do something for God before I serve, I just pray to God and ask for forgiveness. And we think that over time, it'll just, it'll just disappear somehow. But just like my old grill, when we don't take good care of our lives, or in the word of Peter, when we don't persist and strive to live holy lives before God, the dirty things in our lives is not just going to disappear one day. In fact, it will get harder and harder and harder to get rid of. It will leave a mark in us that at times we feel like, man, that would never go away. But by the grace of God, if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, we have put our faith in Christ, God can renew us. Certainly that can happen. But there will need, in, in, in def, uh, it will definitely leave some mark in our lives that cause us to not to live the type of life that God calls us to live. So we've been on a series called Shine with the exclamation mark. So say to each other, Shine.
shine, right? So we're talking about shine, and so holy life's obviously mixed. Um, um, uh, Peter is going to go into continuing for chapter one. We talked about chapter one, uh, verse three to twelve, and today we're going to pick up at verse thirteen. And I want to begin from the very first word there. And what we're going to see is that Peter is going to call us to live holy lives. But we're going to see why he calls us to live holy life, and um, I, I would assume that is not going to be the reason why you think we should live holy lives. He's going to give us a reason, a couple of reasons why we, we should live holy life, but he also tells us how to live holy lives. What does holy living actually look like? And I hope that it will be useful for you because if, in order for us to shine brightly for Jesus in a dark world, it starts not with the outside, but it starts with the inside. Okay? So uh, I want to read for us in first chapter, uh, first chapter of First Peter, verse 13. The first word, therefore. Therefore is a very important word because therefore tells us there's a change in direction. Every time you read the scripture, when you see the word therefore, there's a famous saying. It says, says, if you see the word therefore, you should ask the question, what is there for? Because therefore is telling you something happened before, which is verse 3 to 12. But also therefore is based on what happened before, something needs to happen in the next part that you read. So what happened in the first part? Here's what I want to point out to us. That be, in verses one, uh, one, uh, 3 through 12, we are told that we are somebody. If you were following on the screen, I put out the, the main point here. It says our indicative comes with an imperative. You're like, I don't know what indicative is. Let me teach you an English lesson. English is a poor language. We learn really little grammar in our country. Uh, country. Indicative basically is what is told about you. So if you look at the person next to you, you look at them right now. You say, you're good looking. That is an indicative. You're saying, hey, you're good looking. Now, guys and girls, be careful, okay? You know? But you say, you're good looking, or you look nice today. That is an indicative. It is a statement about somebody. In verses 3 to 12, we're told many things. Verse 1 to 12, we're told that we're, as believers in Christ, we are elect exiles. Verse 1, we're told in verse 3 that we're blessed. In verse 3, we also said we're born again with living hope. Last week, we went through all those indicative in our lives that God had declared to be true about you and I as we put our faith in Jesus. That we've been saved by grace, that we have this new living hope, we're continuing under trials, and we, someone had preached the gospel to us. We have this gift that the angels long to look for in us. So all these are indicative, but the indicative comes with an imperative. You know what an imperative is? Let's, let's say that an indicative is, Hannah, you're nice. An imperative is, because you're so nice, go get me a cup of water. Imperative is a command. A statement is an indicative, imperative as command, is an instruction, is what you tell people to do. So now our imperative, our indicative, Peter said, is we, who we are in Christ. We're the exile, we're believers in Christ, we're living hope. And now, therefore, because of who we were, I mean, who we are in Christ, it comes with an imperative. What is that imperative? What is that command? Here's what it is. If you continue to read on, the command is going to come all the way down in verse 16. Uh, 15. He's going to talk a lot about we'll cover it. And when you jump to 15, I want to give you the answer. I'll let the cat out of the back tell you what is the command. What is the imperative? The imperative is this. Because you are all these things in Christ, verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. The indicative is you are belong to Christ. You have living hope in Christ. The imperative, the command is go 
live holy lives. Be holy in all your conduct. Be holy in all areas of your life. Be Live a holy life. Exude, exude holiness in whatever that you do at home, at church, where you live, play, study, and work out and hang out. That is the imperative that God has called us. But here's the thing. There can be many wrong motivations to be holy. Sometimes we become holy because we feel like we need to meet somebody's expectations. Particularly, we feel like we need to be holy to earn God's love. Sometimes we feel, we feel like if I don't become holy, God will not save me. And that is wrong because there's nothing that you can do to be perfectly holy. So if you cannot be perfectly holy, then you will not be perfectly saved. The whole gospel, what Peter brought up in verse 3 to 12, is the fact that you can't do anything. In order for you to be born again, you basically have to say that I'm a screw-up person. There's nothing I could do, and all that I have received, in this new life in Christ, comes because of what Jesus had done for you. So you cannot be holy enough to earn God's salvation in your life. Nothing you can do. Nobody can be perfectly holy. That's one wrong, wrong motivation. Another wrong motivation is this. That while some of us don't feel like we need to earn God's salvation, sometimes we do kind of want to earn God's brownie points. Like, God, if I just do my quiet time today, if I just don't lie, can you just help me out with my test? Like, if I walk in integrity at work, can you just give me a promotion? We have this kind of kind of contract bartering thing with God. And say, if I just be holy, can you do these things for me? As if God would love us more if we are holy. See, that doesn't work either because, again, you cannot be perfectly holy. And, in fact, the Bible tells us that you are perfectly loved already. God can't love you any more than he has already done by sending his son, Jesus, down on the cross. So that's the wrong motivation. Here's the last one. You might feel like, oh, we're talking about shine. We want to shine for Jesus in the world of darkness. Maybe the motivation to be holy is so that I can shine so that other non-believers can see what kind of good life I have. And that makes a whole lot of sense, but I want to tell you that is also the wrong reason to be holy. Yes, you can be holy and people can see that your holy life may be pointing to Jesus. But what really happens a lot of times is when you start shining, being holy for other people, at some point along that journey, you will give up. Because that person, you're going to start thinking, that person is not worthy of me being holy. Someone just asked me earlier this week. Someone was saying, oh, you know, I don't feel like living for Jesus a lot of times. But the person's motivation to live for Jesus is not really for Jesus, but really for other people to see. See, if you're trying to live holy life so that other people will see, you know what will happen is, when no one sees it, guess what's going to happen? Behind a computer screen, when you're at home by yourself, when none of your coworkers looking at you, if your holiness is only for others to see, when no one is seeing, it is very easy for us not to be holy. So Peter tells us, what is the real reason? What is the motivation? What is the right motivation for us to be holy? You go look at verse 15. It tells us this. The only reason, the one motivation, the one reason we ought to be holy is simply because of God. God himself is worthy of us living holy lives. Look at verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, 
you also be holy in all your conducts. Verse 16, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is a quote from Leviticus chapter 11. The single reason why you and I ought to live holy life is because the verse says, quoting from Leviticus 11, is that we should be holy because God is holy. You don't live holy lives because the person next to you need to see holy life. You live holy lives because the one who created you is holy. See, we must live godly lives because of God's character. God himself is holy. The one who created you is holy. Romans 8 tells us that the one who created you and saved you is trying to make you to become more like Jesus. And if Jesus is holy, the only direction you get to go is to be holy like Jesus. There's no other way. You don't want to be like the the, the best person in this world because he did not create you. He did not save you. But the only person that's created you in his own image is God himself. Isaiah 43, 15 tells us this. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the creator of Israel, your King. So you cannot say that I want to be with God. I believe in God, but I don't want to be holy. It's ridiculous for someone to dress like a basketball player and say he is a basketball player, but he's never bas- he never played basketball. Imagine someone walk onto the court and say, I do, I'm, a, I'm the best basketball player, but he's never picked up the basketball before. It makes no sense to claim to be something, but you've never done that something. The same thing is true. You cannot say that, man, I want to be like God. I want to believe in God. I want new life in God. And yet, I don't want to live anything like God. I don't want to be holy like God. So not only do we need to be holy because we need because of God's character, the Bible continues to tell us in verse 17 that we need to be holy because of God's judgment. If you're a Christian today, I want to warn you. Not I want to warn you. The scripture warns us that there will be a judgment in our lives. And I think sometimes we forget that. Like many times as believers, we think that, well, the judgment is for the non-believers. But look at what the scripture says here. In verse 17, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. You know how he called God? God is the father. He's the judge. He's the impartial judge. If you are a believer, God is going to judge the way you live your life today in this world. But for many of us, we think that God's only going to judge the non-believers. In Scripture, there are two judgments. The first one comes from Revelation 20. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment. I want to just read it for us from uh, Revelation 20, verse 11. It says this, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small. Standing before the throne, books open, then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. This white throne judgment, judgment is for non-believers. If their name is not in the book of life, they will not be with God forever. And for many of us, we just realize that this is the only judgment. But actually, there's another judgment for believers beyond First Peter. If you go to the next one, there's a, a judgment called the judgment seat of Christ. There are many passages for it, but I'll read one for you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It says that he's, Paul is speaking to believers here. He says, for we as believers must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? 
because uh, for the purpose that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So don't ever think that what you do today as a believer, it doesn't matter because you're saved. While we don't know what the reward may be, but it does say that those of us who follow Jesus and live holy life will get a reward. Now, I don't know how it works, how it works with punishment or anything like that or less of a reward. But the bottom line is this. You and I need to be holy because there will be a judgment for us. Imagine one day someone's going to show a picture, a video of every single moment of your life. How many of us are willing to let uh, uh, someone follow us 24-7 all the days of our life to see the type of life that we live in? So not only God's character. God's, uh, God's judgment, but Peter also tells us another good motivation for living holy lives is because of God's sacrifice in our lives. You go to verse 18, it says this, Knowing that you were ransomed for the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You and I need to be holy because it costs God a whole lot to make us holy. God, it, the, the passage said that he it was not with perishable things, meaning things of gold, money. God did not just buy us from our sins. The way God pay us, pay for our sins, redeem from our sins, he paid with flesh and blood of his own son, Jesus. That ought to be one of the major reasons why we need to live holy lives. Because the, the scripture tells us you don't belong to yourself anymore. God bought your life. Not with money. Not with stock, not with cars, not with possession, but with his own son. So every time when we look at the cross, we got to be reminded that someone paid a big price for us. And if that doesn't move a needle in your heart to strive to live holy lives for God, then I think we better go back to, to, to the gospel and, and, and ask God to show us even the song that we just sang or the great chasm that we have set, that has set before us. You know, I have uh, I don't have a lot of shoes. Most of my shoes are pretty cheap, but I do have one really expensive pair of shoes. I have a pair of my uh, Jordans. You don't see me wear that very often. It's all white. And it's really expensive. I don't wear it out for the obvious reason because what? It can get what dirty. My kids can step on. In fact, I don't even leave it out in my house. I put it in a box, hide it away in my closet, so my kids don't mess up my shoes. See, when we when I put money, I don't want that to be dirty. This is only for special. This is special. That's why I put the money in. I want the money's worth of it. The same thing is true. You are worth more than a pair of Jordans. You are worth any more than anything else in this world. God pays his own son's debt life for you. That's why we need to be holy. That's why we must be holy. And so well, these are the so the only reason why we ought to be holy is because of God. God's character, God's judgment, and God's sacrifice for us. So then we need to ask the question that if, he, if they're, hopefully you're convinced that there are motivations for us to be holy, then how should we be holy? What is holiness? Now, I suspect for many of us, when we think of holiness, we think of rule book. We think of what to do, what not to do, what can I do, what's the minimum I can do, what's the maximum I can't do. And you just look through this list and go, check, 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 check. And we see holiness as a rule book 
to follow. And when we see the we see holiness as a rule book to follow, you know how we see God? We see him as a referee. So we start seeing him as a referee and say, oh, he's waiting for us to mess up so he can blow the whistle on you and go, beep, foul, beep, out of bounds. We are waiting for God to catch us. And we're wondering, how can I not be caught by the referee? And think of that relationship. No, any game, basketball, soccer, whatever sport you can think of, no one likes the referee. Why? Because all the referee does is what? To call out your wrong. But that is not the holiness that the Bible reveals to us. You know, when you think about every game you played, how many of you, the first thing you do is look at a rule book? Like my kids in basketball and soccer, the first day of practice was never, all right, kids, here's a rule book for playing soccer. Let's start with page one. Let me read the rule to you. Second practice, no. In fact, I've never seen my kids' practices and, and lessons with basketball, soccer, any sports, that the coach actually take out a rule book. You know why? Because no one learned to play a game to play by the rule. No one plays a game just to follow rules. My kids are not thinking, man, let's go play basketball because I don't want to get out of bounds. Let's play Uno so that I don't, I don't so that, so I, uh, whatever game, like chess, so that I can make a mistake. No one plays games just to follow rules. Why do we play games? Because we want to win. Right? We want to win. Everyone was, oh, I don't care about winning. No, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Just come to my house. My kids always say, I don't care about winning. And then they say, no, she cheated. How come I didn't win? We play games because we want to win. You know what? Holiness is not about following rules. Holiness is about winning. Holiness is about winning in life. And the only way for us to win in life is to live according to the way that God has created us to live. That's why when we start seeing holiness no longer as a rule book, we start seeing it as a playbook. A playbook doesn't tell you the rules, but the playbook tells you how to win. And as you learn how to win, you learn some of the rules. Right? I think of my kids playing sports. My, the coach always tells them in a, in a playbook, t- teach them how to uh, the strategy, teach them the technique, teach them instruction, t- teach them what kind of things they should do, what they should not do. But they're not focusing on the rule. They're focusing on what? Winning. And that's what holiness ultimately is. Because when you look at the Bible, when you look at Leviticus chapter, uh, Leviticus chapter 11, in fact, the whole book of Leviticus, when Peter commanded us to live holy lives, he said, you are holy because I'm holy. It is a quote from Leviticus. I don't know how many of you have ever read through the Bible or tried to read through the Bible. Yeah, some of you guys did. And if you guys ever done a one-year Bible reading plan, Leviticus is where Bible reading plan dies. Most of us go to the Bible, we read through the Bible, and the one-year plan starts with Genesis, and then we go, man, it's exciting, man. Exodus, great. Burning bush, numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, before Deuteronomy, we go to Leviticus, and all of a sudden, we're like, oh, wait. Man, this book is lame. There's just a bunch of weird rules. Eat this, don't eat that. When you touch this, stay out of the camp for a couple of days. Wash your hands, don't wash it unclean, impure. All these weird rules, and we're wondering, how can I apply that rule into my life? And what we're missing is that the whole point of Leviticus is not to obey rules. 
just like we miss about holiness, is not about obeying rules. Playing basketball and soccer and games are not about obeying rules. The whole point of Leviticus is this, that God is creating a people that will go by his rules, go by his law so that they will be successful, prosperous, successful, and live good lives. That is the purpose of Leviticus. The nation of his Israel is meant to be a display for people. If you go by how the way God created you live, you will be successful. You will be blessed. And as, as such, out, out of that, people will learn, well, these group of people seems to be living really good lives, and it seems to work for them. Maybe I should think about living like them. And in fact, when we asked them, they said that they're this God that they believe in, they're this God they live by, and to help them to live that type of life. That's what holiness is supposed to be. It is not for you to live it as a rule, but it is meant to make you successful and live and win in this life. Holiness is to be lived out in every area of our lives. Not just at church. Not just when someone is looking at you. Holiness is what you do with God outside of church as well. Holiness is who you are as a neighbor, as a friend, as much as you are here at church. As a church member. Holiness is who you are when you are holding a steering wheel on the freeway. When someone cut you off. As much as you're holding the Bible here reading. here, Holiness goes beyond the church building. And holiness means we're being set apart. Just like the nation of Israel. When the Peter's audience hear what he said be holy. They're not thinking rules. They're thinking, huh. God has called us to live in a very distinct way. A distinctive way, uh, a set-apart way is being set apart so that people can see what kind of great things that God has done in our lives. So when you start stop seeing holiness as a rule book and seeing holiness as a playbook, and you change the way you see God. No longer do you see God as a referee. No longer you're thinking God's like, oh, he's blowing a whistle on me. He's trying to catch me when I'm doing wrong. But you start seeing God as your coach. You ever play anything that has a coach in it? You know, coach sometimes are nice, but there are a lot of times they make you do things they don't want and you don't want to do, right? And in fact, the whole point of a coach is to get you to do things you don't want to do, so that you can experience the things that you want to experience, namely win. They put you. They may be harsh. They may be encouraging. They will teach you. They will equip you. You know what? That's the same thing with God. God called you to be holy because He wants you to be successful. God won't call you to be holy, to be good, not successful in this life, but to experience blessing in this life and the life to come. That's what God is. God is on your side. God is not against you. God is not the referee waiting to blow the whistle on you, but he is the coach to trying to help you to find the fulfillment and significance of life that you can only find in him. That's what holiness ought to be. So we've seen the motivation for holiness. For God alone, we've seen what holiness is, is to live according to the way God had called us to live. The question is then now, how do we live this holy life? I want to give you five, uh, three uh, practical things to do from, from, the, uh, from 1 Peter chapter 1. Three things to live practical holy lives. Here's the first one. You go back to verse 13. Here's what it says. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. First thing, first practical thing you that you can do to live holy life is prepare your mind. Prepare your mind. Notice it doesn't say prepare your heart. It doesn't say prepare anything else. It even tell you to do anything. 
In fact, the command of holy living, be holy, doesn't come to like what? A few verses down. But you got to prepare your minds for action. And the reason why you need to prepare for your mind is this, because your mind, your heart tends to lie to you. We have every excuse to not do the things that God calls us to do. We need to prepare our minds. The picture here is, is this idea of girding their loins. So we don't do this here. I'm not wearing a gown. But back in those days, in Peter's days, people will be wearing this gown, and they have kind of like a pants inside. So when they get ready to fight, when they get ready to do anything active, you cannot have this gown like flowing around, right? So what they do is they kind of wrap it up, and roll it up, and kind of tie it around their waist. So that they will be free. Nothing is dragging them from doing whatever that they're supposed to do. That's the picture that we have here. Peter is saying, let's get ready. Let's get ready to run. Let's get ready to live this holy life. But it requires some sort of preparation. Namely, we need to prepare our minds. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If given opportunity, you will always live according to what your heart longs to live. But unless we are saturated with the word of God in our mind, unless we know what holy living is, you cannot live what you don't know. You know, when you saturate, this is why we encourage everyone to read their Bibles, because you need to know, you need to prepare your minds. No one wakes up in the morning wanting to go, wanting to go sin. No one wakes up in the morning and says, how did I sin today? But you know what happened five minutes later when your mom started yelling at you to get out of your bed? The first thought you have is probably not holiness. Unless you are convinced that this is the word of truth, that God has something to say about our lives in every area of our lives, we're not prepared for action. This is why we need to spend time in the word, and I want to encourage you. If you don't have a plan for reading the Bible, we're going through First Peter. It would be a great way for you to follow and start reading the Bible. Read First Peter. One chapter at a time, one section at a time. But we need to prepare our minds for action. Here's the second thing. Not only do we need to prepare our minds for action. Second thing is this. Related to the first one is we need to fight our hearts. We need to fight our hearts. Because First Peter 1.14 kind of continues and says, Not only do we prepare our minds for action, being sober-minded, set our hope fully on the grace that was brought to us, through revelation, uh, revelation of Jesus Christ, verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Passions flows from your heart. In fact, if you go down a little further, you've been trained all your life to live by your sinful passion. You've been brought up in this world to live according to your passion. Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile way inherited from your forefathers, you've been brought up learning, however old you are, you've been learning the ways of the world. There are something that has uh, built up a habit in your life that you want to do whatever your heart leads us. But Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us a very important truth. It says this, your heart is deceitful. Your hearts lie to you. If you don't believe it, pay attention to the voice that you, say, you, that you have within yourself this week. Think of the times that you want to do something right. There is a voice in you and say, don't do it. Do it later. Think of the homework you need to do. Think of the workout you're supposed to be. Think, think of the, the very thing that you talk about in your small group that you said, I will apply. There will always be a reason for not doing the things of God. And your heart will always lie to you. 
In fact, I want to challenge you. Don't trust your heart. Every time you have a thought from your heart, bring it to the scripture. Say, Does that really – is it consistent to what the word of God says? But here's the thing. If you don't know what the word of God says, you'll always be lied to. Like, don't you don't, – how many of you have a friend that always lies? There's always a friend uh, in our lives that, like, you cannot trust whatever they say. They will talk a big game, but when they say, oh, we'll see you, we'll see you at 5.30, they never show up until, like, 8.30. So I'll take you out for lunch, and then the next thing you know, like, the guy never showed up. He might say, oh, I'll pay for the meal, and then when, when the bill comes, that guy is in the restroom all the time. That's your heart. My heart lies to me all the time, and we need to fight that. We need to fight that because our flesh is weak. And when we prepare our minds, when we fight our hearts, here's the last thing. We need to move our hands and feet. We, do, we need to live in obedience in action. Holiness does not come with a thought. If you notice, I, I won't read the whole thing because of time, but there are some key words that Peter used to describe holiness. Look at the words that we use. Actions, obedience, conduct, deed. Holiness is not a theology to believe in holiness is actions to live out you cannot say i believe in holiness i want to be holy holiness a desire for holiness is not holiness holiness must be lived out daily must be involved action i like how martin lloyd jones is a 20th century pastor. i like the way he's put it he says this holiness is not something to be received in a meeting like this but it is to be lived out, but more than just lived out, but lived out in details. Holiness is not a generic thought. Holiness is not something that we say, oh, that sounds so good. Holiness is something that we need to do day after day, moment after moment. You might be wondering, so how do I live that holiness? Well, when you know what you're supposed to do from the command of God, from the law of God, you just do that for a thing. Do the right thing one step at a time. Just like how you walk. How do you walk? You take one step at a time. Sometimes we walk, we fall. We ask God for forgiveness. We get back up. We take one step of obedience at a time. One step at a time. One step at a time. In all the areas of our lives. In our family. In our church life. In our friendship. Even with our enemy. Think of what Jesus said about enemies. That we need to reconcile with them, even when it was their wrong. And guess who did that for us? While we were still sinning, while we were enemies of God, Jesus lived out holiness before us and seek us and save us on the cross. So obedience is always now, never later. It's always the right now thing to do. And it involves action. I want to end on this. Um, D.L. Moody, evangelist of yesteryear, says this. A holy life will make the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns. They just shine. Let me read that again. Holy life will make the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns. They just shine. It's a great deal better for us to shine with our lives than just say words about Jesus. What impress deep into people's heart is not what they hear from you, but it's going to be what people see in you. 
And I want to remind us again, the way for you to do is not just to live holy lives for them. You live holy lives for God, and you let God take care of the light that you shine in front of people. I like this image of lighthouse. I think most of us have seen a lighthouse or know what lighthouse is for. A lighthouse is used usually at the end of a, 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 the, a the coastline to shine. But here's the thing, though. Most lighthouses do not have a giant fire, giant light that a spotlight shooting out. Most of the time, they have a really small light. And what makes it shine down to 25 miles down the, the, in the ocean is not because how strong that light is, but really is because of the mirror and the refraction uh, contraption that they have that makes the light shine super far. In the middle of the night, during stormy night, the ships can see that light. Because I know sometimes when we talk about holiness, we're thinking, man, I'm not that holy. Let's be honest, I'm not that holy. Like, I'm not talking about you. I am not that holy. You might be thinking, what kind of holy thing I can do to really shine? What kind of holy thing I can really live up to? And, it, and the, the point I share this is because it doesn't really matter how holy you think you are. What matters most is when you start living whole lives for God, like God would take care of that to shine for other people. You know, a lighthouse never stands there wondering, who am I shining the light out to? They just shine and shine and shine. But one day there will be someone out there who is living in a storm of life, someone who's been living out there in the darkness of the ocean, and the only rescuing thing for them is to see that light, is to see your life, and they wonder, how can I get that light in my life? So you take care of living your holy lives, and let God take care of making you shine. Peter tells us, as God's people, because he saved us because of God himself, we must live holy life. So let me ask you, what kind of things you need to live? What kind of obedience steps you need to take today? Would you bow your head and join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for dying for us, purchasing us. That our identity, our indicative comes with an imperative. That we are called to be holy because you are holy. So God, we pray that you will help us, enable us, empower us to live holy lives. Not because we can, but we fully rely on your grace and mercy today. And God, we pray. Lord, that you somehow use us as light in the world. As we live. Lord, if there's one, anyone among us Lord, who willfully disobeying you, God, I pray that you will give them repentance. And for those of us who don't know you yet, God, Lord, I pray that you will reveal yourself in a very meaningful and personal way so that they know, Lord, that your way is the only way to live in this life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.